Welcome to Frontline Static, a podcast that helps bridge the gap between healthcare workers and first responders and everything in between. So glad to be back with you on the podcast this week. I took a little time off and um, just happy to be able to bring you this candid interview with one of my full-time partners at Skylife. And um, we go into really the important things about the job, what he loves about the job, and what it's like to work with me. So I hope you enjoy this interview uh, with one of my partners, Phil. And we have a lot upcoming in the podcast in the future weeks, so stay tuned. Hey, Phil, thanks for joining me today on the podcast. You're welcome. Absolutely. So I may have drank a Red Bull before this. Oh, good. (laughs) And also didn't eat anything. So I'll be extra ready with my questions. Of course. (laughs) Okay. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, Sure. So I'm Phil. Uh, I've been a paramedic for about 16 years now. Um, I first got into EMS uh, a long time ago. Um, I started as a lifeguard back in Santa Cruz. Um, and then with lifeguarding, I, I taught lifeguarding. I taught swim classes. Um, and that really got me interested in, in the first responder type experience. Uh, so from there, um, the next step was kind of uh, EMT school. So I went to EMT school at the community college. Uh, had a great experience there. Uh, but in the county where I worked, uh, they didn't use EMTs uh, for transport. It was all a dual medic system. Uh, so I kept using my EMT experience and skills as a lifeguard and teaching, uh, but eventually decided to go to a nursing school. Uh, so uh, applied for nursing school, waited, 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 and then <laughs> decided <laughs> that I wasn't going to wait anymore uh, and went to the paramedic route instead. Um, so again, went to a school in Santa Cruz, uh, great training, great education. Uh, as part of the paramedic program, you go to the hospitals and do an internship there. Um, but again, since I didn't have a lot of EMT experience, um, couldn't really work as an intern in Santa Cruz County. So came out to Fresno County, did my internship out here, went to a, a slower agency, got a lot of good experience that way. Um, and then eventually uh, started working as a ground paramedic. Um, from there, uh, did the rescue training, uh, got on with the rescue team with the local ambulance company. Uh, they also offered uh, SWAT medic positions. So I jumped on with one of the SWAT teams. Uh, again, lots of cool new experiences, training, um, saw a bunch of stuff that I never see as a medic, um, but it really wasn't for me. Uh, it kind of changed a lot of my outlook as far as patient care goes. Um, I think for me, I kind of got that cop mentality a little bit where they kind of have the, the understanding that people want to hurt them and not necessarily help them. And I felt that kind of bled into my practice as a paramedic and it wasn't something that I wanted to do. Uh, so from there, um, I got on with Skylife when it was still kind of a mom pa organization. And uh, again, training was great. Uh, all the new experiences that you see in the field are way different than what you see as a ground paramedic. Um, and
and the continuing education with flight is is like no other. Uh, Air Methods acquired Skylife, and again, more training, more education, um, and I think their their ongoing education is a lot better than other programs that I've worked at. Yeah, yeah. So, how long total have you been a paramedic then? Uh, so about sixteen years. And then, how long have you been flying for Skylife? Uh, I think eleven now, eleven wow. years. I didn't realize it was that long. I know, me neither. Sometimes. Okay, great. <laughs> um, I know our last shift was the first time I even talked to you about like doing um the SWAT medic which is kind of funny. I've never really asked you about that before. Um, I didn't also know that you were trying to go the nursing route once upon a time. Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, from an out, outside perspective, that's kind of like the default route for most people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, uh, people that I knew, uh, you know, my parents' friends that were nurses, they always had lots of good things to say about being a nurse and all the different avenues that you can take while a nurse. Um, and so, you know, that kind of just seemed like the, the next step for me as well. Um, but the weights and the, the prerequisites were just, you know, a bit, a bit too much. I think yeah. after waiting for a couple of years, um, a lot of people just lose that passion to, to continue on with it. Yeah. And I want to talk about that because I think, you know, obviously as paramedics and nurses, we practice very differently, what, how we think. Um, about the patient, the interventions that we do about the patient. So, um, you know, how do you feel about that now going the route that you went and how do you feel about, you know, I get asked the question a lot, should I go paramedic route? Should I go nurse route? Um, should I do both? What do you think delineates both of us and how are you feeling about the decision now? Um, you know, it's hard to know for sure because I, I never worked as a nurse um, and there's such a variety of nurses that I've come across. Um, some nurses are very cut and dry um, by the book. Some are more dynamic, um, but I think the same can be said about paramedics. Um, I feel like with with paramedicine, there's a lot more um, learning as you go, um, which which I think partly moves over to flight a little bit. Um, you can definitely tell the, the medics that have done it longer than the, the newbies as well as with nursing. Mm -hmm. um, but with paramedics, I think it's more important to have a good grasp of, of what your job is before you try to advance too much. Um, you kind of start to get top heavy with all this knowledge, but not a lot of uh, in-world experience. So mm -hmm. I think I think a paramedic with with little experience trying to do flight is, is kind of a dangerous thing. Mm -hmm. Um, they don't, they don't see how their treatment affects patients. Mm -hmm. Um, I know a lot of paramedic school is kind of like, you know, you give a little bit and see how it does. And if that medication or that treatment is making a, a good effect, um, continue it, mm -hmm. but there's not a lot of checks and balances before you start doing it. Yeah. So it's really good to have a strong nurse partner that's there to kind of slow you down before you take too drastic of a, an effect. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, my philosophy with it, and I've said this before too, is that when you go in to flight, either as a flight paramedic or a flight nurse, 
you meet all of these qualifications and all of these things that we have to have and have to do and these years of experience and background. But I really think, you know, as I've done it, you know, for the short amount of time that I have, and you've done it double the amount of time that I have, um, it, you, we really are looking at who you are, like who you have to be. Are you dependable? Are you trustworthy? Are you going to have your partners back? You know, it's more like qualities than I guess qualifications because kind of everybody meets those qualifications. So what qualities do you think like you really need to have to be a strong flight partner or flight paramedic? Yeah. Okay. So definitely you don't want a partner or a clinician working on you that does that bare minimum. Um, you always want somebody that's going to go above and beyond uh, with their education, with their training, with their knowledge base. You always want somebody that has been striving to do more than just that bare minimum. Mm -hmm. um, like you said, everybody can have the qualifications, the bare minimums, and they can even pass, you know, testing and oral interviews. Um, but when you see how they really are as a person, calm under pressure, um, you know, they have a methodical approach, but at the same time, they can think outside the box. Um, I think that's the kind of person that you want to be and you want to work with. Yeah. Uh, you know, not just reading about a, a bad outcome, but diving into it and seeing what was done when and what could have been approved upon. I think those kind of real world, real world experiences can make a, a big difference in your patient outcomes. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's why, you know, there's a big look on people doing ride alongs too with us in the application process, because we know like we're not they're not coming in and we're not going to teach them how to be paramedics and we're going to not teach them how to be nurses. We're going to teach them how to take their craft of what they already do and now do it in a transport environment. So right. it's more important for us now to see how they're going to fit in the team environment with personalities wise, um, just what they're going to bring to the table as far as that goes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Personalities play a, a big part in how you work with other people. Um, I think there's a lot to be said about working with the same partners for a long period of time because you definitely mm -hmm. develop that rapport that you you know what they're going to do before they say they're going to do it. Yeah. Um, waiting for uh, waiting for the right phrases to be said or you responding to how the patients responding to their their treatment I think is kind of a delayed response and a lot of struggles that new partners have with each other is they don't they don't know that that dynamic process that goes. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Cause I think that's important. Um, we have been partners for a while now. Mm -hmm. We have been weekly partners for over a year now. Right. Yeah. And we have worked together along the whole almost six years now that I've been flying at sky life. So tell the people your first impression of me. <laughs> uh, so you're, you're definitely we'll hold back. <laughs> um, right. So there's, there's two environments, right? There's the, the inner facility environment and there is a scene environment. I think for inner facilities, you're very, um, you expect a lot from the sending facility and I don't think you expect too much. Um, you know, they want these patients out. They should be dialed in. Uh, you would think the nurse taking care of them would know a little bit about them. Um, and I think you definitely expect that out of those nurses. I don't think they're always ready for the kind of questions you ask, but I don't think you ask inappropriate questions. Um, we're expected as clinicians to be able to 
hand off this patient and tell them everything that's been going on their whole stay at the hospital, even though we've only seen them for, you know, an hour. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So the fact that we need to give that sort of information seems fair that we expect that kind of information from the hospitals, but mm -hmm. there's definitely uh, some sort of broken message there because they don't always have that information. So <laughs> yeah, uh, it's a little bit, uh, I guess I was a little taken aback the first time you were demanding these sort of questions because it's always in my world, in the EMS world, it's always kind of play nice. You take what you can get and you kind of deal with it. So hearing you demand answers from these these staff members that don't really necessarily know what was going on, that that took me aback the first few times, definitely. Um, again, they're not bad questions or bad expectations, but just didn't wasn't used to hearing that from a, a new flight clinician yeah i think like what makes a really good partner is someone who can speak up and say that and maybe that's like taken some time of working together for you to do that but you definitely like six months ago or so said hey listen maybe you can work on your smile um when you are receiving report even if it's not something that you exactly want to hear back and i'm like okay you're right you know um the way the intonation the way that i'm saying things i think that's important to have honesty um with your partner about things critiques or things that you can work on and um i definitely you know coming from the icu background and having x knowing x y and z and having all of your ducks in a row it's very different in ems and i've learned to let go like a, a, of a lot of that sometimes we just don't get all the answers that we need and i was even told at the very beginning from my manager at that time too like maybe you can just work on you know this is before we had to wear masks maybe you could just work on smiling a little bit <laughs> you know so yeah. um i appreciate that and i think over the years and even over the year of really working weekly together we do really well on getting everything done that we need for the patient especially critical ones and feeding off of knowing when something needs to get done before even saying it, but while communicating the whole time as well. Uh, yeah, yeah, and I think so. That's that's a big change from hospital nursing to flight nursing, is kind of that you just you're not going to get everything you want to get. There's just information that either the the sending facility won't know or the ground paramedic won't know, and just having that understanding that you're not going to know everything about this patient or everything about this call. Mm -hmm. And I think as a paramedic, that's kind of just become second nature. We just know we're not going to have all that information, but it seems like it's it's a tough learning curve for a lot of nurses. It really is because I think nurses don't trust themselves because we always had someone to back us up and say, hey, no, we need this order. We don't agree with that. Mm -hmm. You know, so I think, you know, as nurses, we don't trust our decisions that we're making so we feel like we need to know all the information before we can act or do but i think it's just learning to be resourceful trusting yourself trusting your partner and the decisions that you're making for the patient maybe not having the bigger picture or knowing exactly everything yeah uh yeah that's that is definitely the the ems life is not knowing everything and yeah and being okay with that and i yeah. think that's that's tough is getting to that point where you understand you're just not going to have all the answers for the yeah. receiving hospital and no too like no matter what situation you're in whether it's an inner facility or it's a sinkhole that it's ever changing 
you know, what, what you're doing for the patient is ever changing and the decisions that you're making keep evolving, even if you're only with the patient for 10 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And sometimes you get to that receiving facility and you haven't finished everything that you wanted to get done, but you just have to be okay with that. You, you know, that's you just don't have enough time to get everything finished. So you kind of prioritize what, what the patient needs first. Yeah. And can you talk about, I think that you and I have experienced a lot of stat calls with each other. Um, a lot of tough calls. And what do you think has made, has helped in those experiences um, just overall in being successful and giving all the treatment that that we felt like we could in those situations? Uh, okay, so like you said, we work together a lot and I think we've gotten really good at, at communicating our, our feelings at the end of the call uh, making sure that we did everything that we felt was necessary. Uh, you know, we always ask each other if there's anything more that we could have done or should have done. Um, and I think to have that open communication is really important. Um, as a paramedic, you know, a lot of these calls, you're kind of working by yourself. And so when something does go wrong, you tend to blame yourself a lot more. Um, but I think if you take every call and make it a, a learning opportunity, an educational opportunity, and you know, not not being afraid to ask your fellow coworkers what they could have done or what they think you should have done to change the outcome of the patient. You know, sometimes those patients are just so far behind the eight ball, you're just working and working to get them up to like a baseline or get them to, you know, a, a stable condition that you feel comfortable transporting them in, but they're just, they're going to have a poor outcome no matter what. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I think you know, that, that knowledge, you're always going to have a knowledge deficit compared to doctors and mm -hmm. a lot of hospital clinicians. So understanding that you can't do everything that they're going to do in the hospital, you know, ultimately you want to get them to that definitive care so they can get the OR or get whatever care they ultimately need. Mm -hmm. So I think it's, you know, doing what you can when you can, and then having those resources to, to run ideas by and, mm -hmm. Uh, you know, trying to stay up on your education, medicine's always changing. So trying to keep up with, with those changes, um, for paramedics, it's a lot of county driven protocols, but your knowledge deficit shouldn't be confined to what the county wants you to do. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, for inner facilities, you arrive and there's new medications that you've never seen or heard of. Um, they have equipment that you, you're not too familiar with. Um, you know, those are good resources right there to ask, ask the doctor or the nurse, mm -hmm. <clears throat> what does this do? How should I handle it or not, not adjust it? Um, this medication or this, uh, this piece of equipment, does it need to be below the patient, above the patient, phlebostatic access, all these things can make a big difference, but if you don't know what it does, then you're already behind the eight ball. Yeah. And the reason why I like that too is because people think that because we're in this level that we're like experts at all of these things, but right. sometimes it's been months or years since we've seen a device or we've had something like that. So like, for instance, I haven't had an EVD in a long time. And I think my last patient had two EVDs. And so it's just really asking those questions like, um, and each manufacturer is different as well. Like how much is this patient usually draining off? Like how much can I expect them to drain in the next hour that I'm with them? Um, you know, 
just running through the manufacturer device of what that patient likes or how we should be making changes to it, what the physician's orders. I think those are all fine questions to ask at bedside. And that's kind of our responsibility. We should never think that um, we're experts at any of these things, but being able to ask questions and know that sometimes we just need a little bit more information while we're at bedside to really get the big picture of what we need to be done for the patient. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, some medications, little changes make a big difference. Mm -hmm. um, and you just want to make sure that you're comfortable with that kind of stuff before you take responsibility of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like a big thing that, you know, you and I have encountered lately with our patients is that with the autonomy, the massive amount of autonomy that we get as clinicians in the flight world, we are um, also scrutinized a lot more. Um, we are things that things that we do and the treatments that we do are looked at, whether it's by the sending facility, the receiving facility, or the entity that we work for. Um, so how is that important, I guess, to always make sure that you're working within your protocols and doing what you feel comfortable as a team doing? I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, no, so, right. So especially for paramedics, uh, you know, we're very restricted to what we can do based on protocols and policies and where you work. Um, so it's, it's definitely important to stay within those bounds. Um, but, you know, as a flight clinician, our scope has expanded so much, mm -hmm. uh, so making sure that you're comfortable with it, um, making sure you're staying up on those trainings, mm -hmm. um, but more importantly, to ask those questions while you can, while you're at bedside with, with some sort of provider that does know about the equipment. Mm -hmm. um, maybe your partner is an expert at it and they use it all the time in the hospital. They can be that, that person you go to. Um, if it's the sending facility, uh, you know, they're doctors and nurses, you know, there's somebody there who knows something about it probably knows more than both of you and your partner. So mm -hmm. making sure that that a it's something that you can adjust if you need to, and then b making sure you can do it safely. Yeah, um, I, those are definitely very important tools. Yeah. Um, and then in our environment to make sure it fits safely in the aircraft, mm -hmm. you can secure it in some sort of spot because, you know, at the end of the day, your safety and your partner's safety is paramount as well. Yeah. And I think it's about just having good communication about whatever you're doing in the call with each other. Yeah, definitely. Um, because knowing, I think knowing that each team's going to run a call different, no matter what it is and what the patient is. So how you and I run a call is going to be different than another team that's on that day. And so really having communication about what we're doing, why we're doing it, why we're making the choices that we are, will help in the end when someone is unhappy, whether it's the receiving facility or the sending facility or, um, you know, the people that kind of look back on our um, charts and, and, and our calls, um, how we can explain why we treated the patient that we did. And I, I think um, that's really come up for me and my thoughts lately is always knowing why I have my own back, why I have your back and why we're doing the things that we're doing all the time and understanding and acknowledging that why so that when it does get asked that we feel assured in our answer and that we feel like we did the right thing for the patient at that time. Right, absolutely. Um, 
you know, there's more than one way to treat a patient, a sick patient. And so, like you said, there's always going to be some scrutiny from a colleague or somebody above you, uh, why you did what you did. And just because you did it X, Y, and Z doesn't mean it's right or wrong. It's mm -hmm. what you and your partner decided to do. Mm -hmm. um, but they could have done it A, B, and C, and that could have had the same outcome. It could have had a different outcome, but as long as you are comfortable and your partner's comfortable with what you are doing and you can justify it, uh, then it's, it's right, you know? Yeah. And I think allowing for the space, which I, I, I love that we do. And I try to always teach new people to do this too, is just talk about what went really well in the call, what worked really well for you guys, what maybe didn't go well, because there's always something that, that, you know, we could have done differently. And then the third question following up is what could we do differently next time? Or is there maybe nothing that we would have done differently? I think always being able to look back, sit back, look at it and address those things is what's going to make us so um, dynamic in every call that we do run, knowing that there's always room to grow and always room for improvement. Yeah, right. I think that the moment you stop learning is the moment you start getting worse. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there's always people out there that think they're the best at whatever they do. And I think those people are very dangerous because they don't have the capacity to learn or to change their practice. And mm -hmm. there's always, always things that can be improved upon. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you stop trying to do better, you're going to start doing worse. Yeah, definitely. So um, I think we should also talk about, I don't know why, but this bear in your background reminds me of this bear in your garage that keeps showing up. <laughs> so tell everybody about this bear in your garage that keeps showing up. Um, yeah, so this bear, I think he came back again last night. Oh um, no! Yeah, he likes my cat food now. Or <laughs> maybe it's a different bear because he liked dog food before and now he likes cat food. But he knocks over my big garbage can and now there's cat food all over the place. How is he getting in your garage still? Well, so I leave the door open on purpose now so he doesn't lock himself in again and break the window trying to get out. Um, it's, yeah, if it's not a bear, it's a raccoon or something, but. Okay, so what are your solutions for this? Because you're going to keep letting him eat your cat food and your dog food? I don't know. I don't know. But we talked about poisoning the dog food or something. I'm not going to poison a bear. Uh, I'm going to go buy some fish and like put it out somewhere else on my property. So maybe he, he wanders somewhere, somewhere else. I mean, what happens if you lock the door so he can't get in there? He's going to break down the door. No, I'll, I'll forget. I don't know. Maybe that's my next step. Oh, the problem is the cats go in there to sleep at night. Oh, so you have to. Okay. We'll just yeah. leave the window open a little bit for the cats. That's a thought. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I can tell though because my dogs go crazy at like two in the morning and I think it's the bear coming back. I mean, what are you going to do? You can't go out there and fight the bear. No, I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> um, I might have to start locking my door and just make the cats go somewhere else at night. Yeah, but hasn't he crawled through that window before? They could. Oh, he's crawled out. There's like a, a ledge that he can curl up on and then get out the window, but I don't think he can go from the outside in. It's a smart bear. He's going to start inviting all your friends and then it's going to be over. I know. All his friends. <laughs> yeah, he really is. All right. What's uh, last question? What's some piece of advice that you can give someone who's really interested either in becoming a paramedic or getting into flight um, paramedic? Uh, so start, start simple, right? EMT is a great way to get into paramedicine. Um, 
I couldn't do it, but I think if you work as an EMT for a while, you get a lot of experience and knowledge kind of through osmosis, through a good paramedic partner. Um, and I think it's the same with us. You know, medics have certain experience and knowledge base. Nurses have a different set of knowledge. I think that's why we work so well together. But anyway, mm -hmm. EMT, take your time as an EMT. Uh, get a good foothold in what you do on the ground. Mm -hmm. um, and then I think paramedic school is a great way to to get into some advanced knowledge and advanced skill set. Um, you know, as a medic, you have a lot of autom uh, a lot of autonomy mm -hmm. um, and a lot of responsibility. So I think doing that for a few years, I know three is the minimum, but I think five should really be the minimum. Um, work in a busy program, a busy area uh, where you're not just doing these interfacility transfers. You're getting some good trauma, some good medical, um, but you also do get occasional advanced interfacility transports. Mm -hmm. uh, not just going from a nursing home to the patient's home, but higher level of care where you're kind of thinking um, after paramedicine. Um, I don't think nursing's a bad route to go either, but if you want to go from paramedic to flight, um, advanced certs, getting your advanced trauma certs, um, even before it's required by the program. Um, if there is some sort of CCT program where you work, I think that's great. Or at least talk to some of those medics to see what they think about it and ask them some good questions. Mm -hmm. I think training on your own, um, buying a book, buying a, a series of videos um, is a great way to, to get some knowledge. Um, there's at least three that I know of. There's the IA Med, um, there's Flight Bridge, and then uh, ACE Sat is a great one. That's the one I used. Mm -hmm. um, but watching those videos, reading those books, um, and then applying. Uh, some places make you have the cert beforehand. Others will pay for it after you get hired on. But just continuing that knowledge base, um, advanced cardiac stuff, advanced ventilator stuff, um, a lot of stuff that medics don't see on the ground. Mm -hmm. you know, they're dialed in for trauma, MCIs, all that stuff. Not a big deal. You're going to know that stuff, but all the advanced medical, cardiac, stroke, um, high acuity ventilator type stuff, pediatric stuff, um, those are all things that are really lacking for paramedics. Mm -hmm. um, so getting a good foothold on that and then you know, applying for those tests, getting your FPC or your CCTP, um, and then you know, whatever other certs are required for your job, NRP, um, other advanced trauma certs, making sure you have a good foothold on that kind of stuff um, so that when you do apply, it won't be your first time hearing about terms or seeing terms during their testing, but, you know, having a baseline understanding of what's going on while they're talking about it. Yeah. And I think also, you know, we do say it, it's great that we we come from two different backgrounds and that's what makes us a good team. And I think it's really kind of taken me time and I'm starting to grow into that now is um, always knowing that you have to make yourself a strong primary for anything, whether it's scene calls or in a facilities. And I really struggled with scene calls for a long time. And I'm starting, I am just now starting to feel like I'm coming into myself as knowing and trusting myself what to do for that, but really not relying on your partner to know more than you. Um, it's like you said, as a paramedic, really getting used to ventilator and oxygenation and all those 
IV medications. And then for nurses, it's really, if you haven't had pre-hospital experience, learning how to talk on the radios, practicing that, um, practicing scene security and um, just situational awareness, things that we haven't had to do as a nurse before and not relying on your partner that they're going to know what to do in that situation, but making up for your weaknesses too, so that you can both come in and run primary no matter what it is. And then I do think that that comes with time, but I think that's a good thing to bring up as well is make up for the, the areas that you're weak and not just rely on your partner who might be stronger than you in those areas. Uh, yeah, definitely. So like, yeah, nurses probably have never used the radios before. Yeah. Well, as a medic, I'd never used IV pumps before. Um, do you know, if somebody asked me to set one up the first time I saw one, I would have had absolutely no idea. Mm -hmm. um, and it, I didn't even realize that was like a deficit of mine. But a after seeing somebody program one in super quick and start giving a med, I was blown away that I was so lacking in that sort of knowledge base. That information. Yeah, yeah. Um, what is something like either a piece of advice or a thought that you've lived by throughout your career that's really kind of stuck with you and got you accelerated to where you are right now? Um, so when I was in paramedic school, um, the instructor was telling us a story. Um, he'd always say, you know, it, it might not seem like it, but the person that's calling 911, it's their worst day ever. And mm -hmm. working EMS, we see a lot of calls that don't need a 911 activation, don't need to go by ambulance. Mm -hmm. But it seems like whenever you start to get complacent, you get a patient that you might not think is very sick. And then it turns out they're super sick. So never, never just treat a patient by what they're presenting on the outside. Mm -hmm. you, know, you look at them you hear them, you smell them, mm -hmm. you see their vitals, you know, it, it paints a big picture. But if you just look at their numbers on their monitor, they might not seem so sick. Or if you just look at them when you walk into a room, they might not look so sick. But always treat a patient like they're dying until you find out otherwise. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a lot of instinctual too. Like you start to pick up like your instincts, even though the monitor says that they look fine, you know, you feel like something's going to happen. Absolutely. And sometimes that's just saying it out loud. I know I've said that a lot lately on our calls and you've been like, oh, it's okay. And it ended up being fine. But sometimes it's not like sometimes you have this instinct that even though everything looks fine, something's going to go bad. And it's really saying it out loud so that you and your partner can kind of really figure out is something going to go wrong? Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, that comes with experience for sure. Um, but yeah, definitely voicing concerns or questions so your partner can hear it. Um, even if you're just talking out loud, the fact that they pick up on it too, then they kind of start to look at it or see it and they'll throw out their opinion as well. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of times when patients might not present like they're super acute, but after you really see the big picture, you realize they're a lot sicker than you initially thought. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you being on today, Phil. I think we talked about a lot of good things, especially partnerships and working really well together. And I'm going to personally work on smiling and being more uh, presentable at sending facilities. It's an ongoing uh, work in progress for me. <laughs> well, luckily we still got masks. <laughs> What's going to happen when one day maybe we don't? I don't know. Uh, um, I think it's the new norm. I think we're going to wear masks all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, I appreciate your candidness. I appreciate you as a partner. I think um, we work really well together. 
uh, I think that's come with just time of both of us and experience of both of us and really feeding off of each other. And I think that I know when we go to any call, no matter what it's going to be, we're going to deliver the best patient care because it is the both of us. So. Absolutely. Thank you. I feel the same way. Yeah. Okay. Well, have a good one. Thanks for being on, Phil. We'll talk to you you. again. All right. See ya. Bye. Bye.